gospel of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise and his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his great pleasure, good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of the glory. And you who were included in Christ, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. That ends the reading. Thank you, Skip. Wow, we sing those songs this morning and, and, and just praise the Lord and think about His grace and His goodness to us and His love for us and, and what He's doing in our lives. And then we read Ephesians chapter 1, those 14 verses, and it's just, it's just like, uh, it's like the picture here that Silas gave us in our, in our bulletin. And it's uh, grace coming out of the sky, being poured out on us. And uh, why me is the question. And thank you for Silas for that. Um, his dad probably has a lot of hair on his arms and legs, so he, he kind of <laughs> depicted that in the picture. But um, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, wow. This morning we want to continue um, on the idea of a dangerous Christianity with that idea being that all those blessings from God are going to come down on us and uh, when we become a Christian, um, they are given to us and then the question is uh, how dangerous it is to pack around all these blessings of the Lord in our lives and uh, because probably they're going to spill out. Our love for God is going to spill out to those around us um, and throughout the world when we have been blessed by God in such a wonderful way. I want to bring your attention to Lewis Berry Schaefer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, um, 
a work that he did some years ago, years and years ago, it was called the, the 33 Riches of Divine Grace. And what he did, he went through uh, the New Testament and tried to list, uh, or, or actually did list, um, all the things that happened to us at the moment of salvation. Uh, the blessings that we receive at the moment of salvation. It's, it's often referred to as our position. When you put your life in the hands of Christ and trusted him as your Savior, there are at least 33 things that are blessings from God, the riches of his grace that he just bestows on us. And um, in our little meeting before uh, church organizing how we were going to do things, one of the questions was asked, how long is the sermon this morning? Well, 33 riches of grace expounded on, a couple minutes for each one. No, no telling how long it'll be. Um, we, we won't do them all this morning, but uh, I want to call your attention to them and, and some ideas about them. If you recall last Sunday, we talked a bit about uh, the persecution that Paul had gone through, and uh, almost to death and maybe even to death in one of those stonings. And that caused me to, along with other things in Scripture, examine my own life and, and say, uh, where are you, Jerry, in this? Is your love for the Savior enough to motivate you to humbly, graciously suffer for Jesus? Um, get engaged in the battle, engage in the fight. And then, as, as I wrestled with that, um, I had to ask myself the question, well, uh, if your love isn't that great for the Lord, that you, that you would get engaged on his behalf, then why not? And I think I took you to Revelation chapter 2, where it said the, the church in Ephesus was written, they wrote a letter and said, you've left your first love. And so you need to get back to it. What do you do? You repent and go back to your first love. And so that was the idea that I had last Sunday. And the idea from that is, how do you go back to your first love? Well, I likened it to the military and going to basic training. And uh, so you, what do you do if you're going to get in the battle? You go to basic training. And you learn uh, skills but you also learn with that the love of your country and the danger of the enemy. And so the motivation to um, defend is love of country. The motivation to um, serve the Lord is the love of the Lord. And so uh, sometimes we have to go back, and that was my suggestion, we need to go back into the scripture and concentrate on, some, on the portions of Scripture that tell us who God is and what He's done for us. And that's why we now come to the idea of <clears throat> what are those um, blessings, the riches of God's mercy toward us. And I think if we think on those things, and if, and if you uh, get on your computer and want to look up 33 riches of grace, uh, you, you will see these listed. And uh, you'll see a, a writing in there and, and, and some explanation that they have 
preserved from uh, Mr. Schaefer. Colossians chapter 3 says, set your affection on things above. And I, I think that's the key, um, setting our mind on things of the Lord. And Scripture says, set it. You can do it. You can set your mind on those things. And it takes discipline, and it takes uh, concentration, and it takes some sacrifice. But to kind of renew your mind and keep thinking about what God, who God is, who Christ is, and what he's done for you. And when, when that slips away from us, and we get involved in, in ministry or uh, doing good, reaching out, good works, all those things, uh, we can keep doing those as the Ephesian church did. They were commended for their good works, but they were chastised for their lack of their first love. And so I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to you. And so we want to keep going back to Scripture and look at the fundamental things. Now, for those of you that may be either new Christians or may not be aware of how two or three books uh, are composed that Paul wrote, I want to take you there for just a few minutes. So turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That is called exhortation. That is strong teaching and encouragement to do the right thing. Okay? Uh, and if you continue on in that uh, book, I turn over the page and, and some, just reading some of the uh, headings of the paragraph, serve God with spiritual gifts, it says. Behave like a Christian, it says. Submit to the government in chapter 13. Love your neighbor in chapter 13. Put on Christ. Chapter 14, the law of liberty. How, how do we live and, and knowing we have liberty? Um, bearing one another's burdens in chapter 15. And it ends up with some personal notes as well. But you, you get the picture that from chapter 12 on, is exhortation. It is strong encouragement to live for Christ like you're supposed to. Now, if you look at the book of Romans from chapter 1 through chapter 8, there is no exhortation in it at all. It is all an explanation of our salvation. And Chapters 9 through 11 are a little um, section set aside for his special talk to the Jewish people. But if you look at the book of Romans in chapter 1 through 8, it's all about who God is, how he purchased us, how and all the and so many of the blessings that come with our salvation. That's what it is. It's the theology of our faith. And then from 12 on, 
it's working that out. It's practicing it. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, which we just read from. Turn with me to chapter 4 in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. It helps in studying the Bible if we, if we can see some of these things uh, and be reminded of them, um, how we're to be taught. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. What's he doing? He is exhorting. He is encouraging with strong teaching how we should live. The rest of chapter 4 talks about our, our, our spiritual gifts, talks about the new man and what he, how he should live. It says, do not grieve the spirit. Chapter 5 says, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. Talks about the family, how, how we're to uh, live in our marriage and how we're to live with our employees and employers. Practical exhortation on Christian living. But where does it come? It comes in chapter 4. Chapters 1 through 3, there's no exhortation. That beautiful passage that Skip read this morning, it just, it just kind of, I, I don't know, Paul was in some sort of a state of rejoicing, uh, some sort of state of just uh, praising God when, he, when the Holy Spirit had him write that. He just tells of the, the wonder of our salvation and how God has claimed us from eternity past to be his children. And, and it goes on in there and tells us for grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. And so the book of Ephesians is split into three chapters that tell us who God is and what our salvation is, who we are in him, and the next three chapters, okay then. If that's true, then let's live like this. And then turn with me to Colossians, where we'll go here this morning a little bit. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. There's four chapters in Colossians. Thank goodness there's not more, because I'm trying to memorize them. Um, Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, there's that therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. See, that's exhortation. That's telling us how to live. Now, the problem that we run into, that I run into in my life, is I get over in those passages and I read those things and I say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I am going to live like that. I am going to serve God like that. I am going to love my wife like he told me to. And 
Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't do so well. But the key is our motivation. What is our motivation to do those things? Is it some preacher up here telling you that you had better quit lying and you'd better quit stealing and you'd better quit cheating and you better, you better love your wife more and you better submit to your husband more and you better obey your parents more and you better... <clears throat> is, is, is that how we get motivated to do those things? No, I don't think so. Guilt, as I mentioned last Sunday, is a terrible motivation, motivator. No, love is the motivator. Love is the motivator that brought Christ down to man. His love is what sent him to the cross. His love for you and I. And I, pardon me, this is not in my notes or anything, but I just, I just think from time to time, I have this funny mind that goes up into heaven before all this takes place and while some of it's taking place to angel talk. And angels are going, are you serious? Is, is he, he's creating those people, and now, now they have sinned? And he says he's going to have fellowship with them for eternity? I, no. I know his justice. I know his wrath. I know what happened to the angels that rebelled. They got cast out of heaven. And they're going to end up in hell. And you're telling me that those rebellious people down on that earth, he is going to have eternal fellowship with them? That is a mystery. And that's what Paul's talking about when he uses that term, mystery. How is that going to take place? How is that possibly going to happen? How is God's justice, his wrath, on sin going to be appeased? How, how is that? No, I, I, I don't understand. I, he's going to go down there and live? He's being born of a virgin and he is going to live with these people? I can't believe that. Well, I don't know if angels talk like that or not. I think they probably do. I don't know. If I was an angel, I'd talk like that. Um, no, you're just, what? I, no. How, it, it, he's not going to do that. They're going to reject him. They're going to spit on him. They're going to revile him. That's, that's, our, that's our king, our God. And he's going down there with those people and doing that. What's the... Look, it's not working. They're not loving him. They're not submitting to him. They're not glad he's there. His own nation, his own people, look at them. They've rebelled against him. What is he going to do? And then it unfolds. Those last days of trial and beatings, and crucifixion. I, I don't know what they must have thought. 
And then there's the resurrection. And sins are paid for. And they go, wow. That is amazing. And so when we come to these, when these come to these truth in Colossians and the 33 riches of God's grace, he didn't just save us. He didn't just take away our sin, although that's very important, and that's a part of it here, and we'll look at that. But there is a whole bucket load of blessings that he poured on us and things he did for us. Now, before we talk about some of those things, I want to um, <clears throat> make a couple comments here that uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer said about these blessings. Totally agree with him. He said, number one, these blessings that come from God at your time of salvation are not something that you experience. You have to learn about them through Scripture. The revealed truth will tell it to you. Now, you, now one of them may be the forgiveness, one of them is the forgiveness of sins. And when you've had your sins forgiven, there is a feeling of gratitude and euphoria. But you're not, you don't always have that feeling. You don't always have that uh, gratitude and rush for having your sins forgiven. So are they really forgiven? Yes, they are. Is it something you feel? Is it in your emotions? Your no, not necessarily. It is revealed in God's word that your sins have been forgiven. So these blessings are not from our experience. They are from the revealed word of God. The other thing about these blessings is they are not progressive. They don't grow. When you got them at salvation, you got them full measure, forever, for eternity. For instance, one of them is he makes us his sons and daughters. Okay? He makes us his children. Do we get to be more his children the longer we live? No. Now we may improve as a child. We may not be quite as bad a child and a better child, but we're still his child, and it doesn't grow any greater. So when you look at these 33 things, they come at the moment of salvation and they're, they're there in their maturity and their fullness forever. The other thing about them, they have no grounds in merit, of human merit. These blessings come absolutely with the package of salvation. Absolutely without any merit of man at all. So it's all God's doing. And the other thing about these things, and I mentioned it, was they are eternal. They're from the day you're saved through all eternity. Okay? Now this morning, um, I, I just want to pick a few out in, in Colossians, okay? And uh, we call them the riches of God's grace. And there are things that happen to us um, 
that put us in, a, in this position. Okay? So look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and I'll, I'll look at six of these this morning, I think. Okay? So Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he rescued us, the New American Standard, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's two blessings there for us. He transferred us, or he rescued us from the domain of darkness. You may not have known that um, to the extent that you realize it after you're saved but that you were in a domain of darkness. You were in deception. You were in a place where you were being deceived. You were a place where you couldn't see biblical truth. You were ruled, really, by the power of the prince of the air, Satan himself. You were on his team. You were in the domain of darkness. And he tells us that when he transferred us, he, he rescued us from that domain. And remember, it is not anything that we did and is not necessarily something that you felt, but it's a truth of Scripture that you're no longer in that domain. And so you can rest in the fact that Satan doesn't have power over you because you're not in his kingdom anymore. You're not in that domain. So... Flip Wilson back in the 60s or 70s, whenever that was, that, that, that wouldn't work anymore. The devil made me do it, he would say. Well, that, that doesn't, in Christianity, it, that, that doesn't cut it anymore, you see, because you've been moved out of the domain of darkness. Now, number two, same verse. He transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. At the moment of salvation, you were transferred from the domain of darkness. You were put in the kingdom of his beloved son. And that is a group of people that are serving the king together for all eternity in that kingdom. Now, there's a, there's a world, there's a kingdom on earth, that is, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the kingdom that he places us in where Christ is the king. Eternal spiritual relationship with the king. We're under his care and one are under his authority. That's the kingdom we get placed into. What a spiritual blessing. We get out of darkness and get placed in his kingdom. And it's eternal. And it has nothing to do with our merit. Verse 14. the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Right there are two more blessings, two more positions that we've been placed into. Redemption. Redemption is being delivered by a payment. Um, in, the, in, in the Jewish culture, in the Roman culture, um, and, and the, the Jewish culture as well, they had, um, if, if you got in de debt too far to somebody, 
you were their slave. And you, they took you on and you worked for them trying to work out your debt. And uh, if that debt was too great and you're going to be there forever, you're just going to be there until the year of Jubilee in the Jewish situation. But for slaves, on the slave market, they had to be bought with a price, of course. And uh, that's what redemption is for us. He purchased us out of that slave market. What was the cost? Well, his cost was his going to the cross for us, his death. But the, the aspect that I like to think about there when I'm redeemed out of the slave market, it tells me that I no longer have to be a slave to sin. I'm out of that domain of darkness. I have been placed into the kingdom of his son. And along with that, I have been purchased. He paid for me to be out. So I'm not going to go back. I don't want to go back into that, the slavery of sin. Verse 14, the forgiveness of sins. There's the fourth blessing. The forgiveness of sins, the pardon. Now, I believe that the one question that I want to be able to articulate to people in the future is, are your sins forgiven? Um, they, they might want to talk about a lot of things, whether they believe the Bible or don't believe the Bible, they believe there's a God, they don't believe there's a God. Uh, I, you know, I can study their ideas and their questions and I can try to answer some of their questions, but I think what the bottom line I would like to have a person be faced with, are you forgiven? Because I have a stinking suspicion that down deep in everybody's heart, not only is there the knowledge of God, but there's a knowledge of their sin. Even though they might try to justify it, even though they might try to deny it, I believe that down in there, there's a little voice that says, you're a sinner. You are at odds with God. Are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? I think, I think that's a great question. And if you're, if you're here this morning in, in this group and you, you, you haven't answered that question for yourself, by all means, God, we sang some beautiful songs this morning. God is a God of forgiveness. If you come to him and cry out to him and say, Lord, be my Lord, be my Savior. I know I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me. He will. He will. He'll do it right where you sit, right there. He'll do that. The forgiveness of sin. Number five, in, in verse 20, Start with 19, Colossians 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Reconciliation. B 
be reconciled. Doesn't it, doesn't, don't you just rejoice when you hear that a couple people that have been estranged, um, could be in a husband-wife relationship, could be uh, father and son, could be mother-daughter, could be brother and sister, whatever relationship it is, that, that somewhere back there, somewhere, somehow, things all went south. And there's anger and there's bitterness. And then we hear that they have been reconciled. That relationship has been restored. Now, oh, don't we just rejoice in that? That is that way, and you've seen it in your own families, where there's, it's just not right, and it needs to be reconciled. Well, God says it hasn't been right with us before we become a Christian. He said, you and I have a problem. I created you. I love you. You rebel against me. That's just a problem. That, that really fouls up our relationship. In fact, I can't have that relationship with you until you confess your sin. Until we're reconciled. And he reconciled us. We owe we owed something for our sin. It was punishment, was due. And what did he do? He reconciled us through the blood of the cross, it says. He paid for that debt that we were in because of a rebellion against him and a estranged relationship. You know, and it is sad today when you hear somebody that's not a Christian, they haven't trusted Christ as their Savior, and they're praying that God will do something. Well, they, they have an estranged relationship with God. I'm not sure that he's hearing that prayer until it's the prayer to get the relationship right. They're estranged. They need to be reconciled. And that's what Christ did for us at the moment of salvation. It's not something we did. He just said, I've made it right. I've brought you into a relationship with me because I paid for your sin on the cross. We've been reconciled. And then 210. Uh, Turn over to uh, chapter 2, verse 10, and I'll, I'll just close with this one. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. Paul is talking to all kinds of new Christians. Uh, here in Colossia, there some are coming from the pagan uh, Greek world and others are coming from the Jewish world and they become Christians and he says you know I don't know what anybody telling you about what else you need but I'm telling you 
when you've come to Christ, you've been made complete. And you're complete for eternity. And you don't get more complete the longer you live. You are complete in Christ. There were a lot of things they were trying to tell them from the pagan world that there was higher knowledge and all kinds of things that they needed to learn. There was uh, uh, Jews telling them they need to be circumcised and they needed to be um, go to the festivals and they need to keep up with the law. And Paul was saying, no, you're complete and you're complete for the rest of eternity. So when I think of that, <laughs> as I was working on this week and, and I called Felipe talking to me about the music and I said, give us something upbeat. Give us, give us something with a little charge in it, with a little jazz in it. Because when you get the grace of God dumped on you and you realize what it is and how wonderful it is and that the standing with God is this way forever, I have been rescued forever. I have been placed in his kingdom forever. I have been redeemed forever. I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven forever. That, that's a hard one for us sometimes to get a hold of because we continue to sin. We don't desire to do that, but we end up doing it. But it's forgiven. It's forgiven. It's forgiven forever. We're reconciled to God forever. There's not an animosity between God and I. Now, I might get feel guilty about not obeying him like I should, but that does not create an enmity between he and I. We are reconciled. He's reconciled me forever. And he's made me complete. Now, you may think that I ought to improve a lot, and I'm sure I should. But I am complete in Christ. You see, he created me in his image, but what was lacking? His righteousness. I, I had sinned and fallen short, and so I didn't have his righteousness. So I wasn't complete. But when he died for me and gave me the exchange I talked about last week, the big trade-off, he'll take my sin on him and he'll give me his righteousness. And that's how I got, came to be a complete human being created by God for eternity to be with him. He gave me his righteousness. Well, let's live it out in reality and let's not sit on the riches of God's grace. Let's share them. Our Father and our God, I thank you for your blessings to us. The more we read, the more we think, the more we concentrate, the more we meditate, on who you are and what you've done for us, the deeper our appreciation and the deeper our love for you becomes. So Lord, out of, again, reviewing in our own minds and our own hearts how great a God you are, what a wonderful Savior you are, how you poured out your blessings on us, Lord, we're inspired, we're encouraged, we're motivated to share that message with others. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.